Okay, I have an interesting message uh, for today. And um, yesterday as I was finishing up what I thought I was preaching on, the Lord goes, how about we do something else? And I was like, oh, cool. So came home at five and Grant was like, are you excited about tomorrow? And I said, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what's gonna come out of my mouth, but I'm excited about it. And I do believe that the Lord um, has given me a word, so I'm gonna call it a prophetic word for us because it's kind of out of left field. So I've got like, one, two, three, four, like 11 scriptures, so they're not gonna be on the screen, but if you wanna take notes and you're interested in this, jot them down. But I wanna talk to you guys a little bit about what it means to bring heaven's ways to earth, okay? So everybody ready for that? Everybody's excited about that? Sweet. So if you don't know, and I hope you do know, our motto as a church is bringing heaven's ways to earth. And what this means is that we believe our calling is to help establish what's in heaven here physically on the earth, and what's not in heaven, we believe it's our calling to help remove that. Simple enough, right? I think we all probably know that. And so I want to sort of bring together several streams, and I'm gonna do my best to articulate this. But the reason why we're doing this is because God owns the earth, right? He created the earth and everything in it, and then he gifted it to humanity. So God has heaven. He created the heavens. He created all these creatures in heaven. I've been reading this fascinating book um, about angels, and it's like, a, it's like a Hebrew root context of the Old Testament. It's a really interesting book by Michael Heiser, who I love. And um, it's very deep, okay? And I've been reading about all these different creatures and the, the in, if you read the Bible in Hebrew, like what they are, and I've just been marveling at like, Lord, here on earth you made mosquitoes and gnats and lizards and you made all these different things. And he did that in heaven too. And that's in the Bible, right? Because we see these creatures with eyeballs all over them. Really glad I wasn't that prophet hearing, you know, receiving that vision. We see creatures with four different faces. That's in the Bible. There's some pretty crazy stuff. And God created that in the heavens. And he created creation here on earth as well, right? And so what he did was he established the earth in a lesser version than on heaven and then gave it to humans to make it like that, right? That's the plan. That was always the plan. What happened was the enemy came in and distorted that plan. So I preached this to you guys a little, I don't know, I think it was at the beginning of this year, uh, maybe last year. I talked to you guys about what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 6, right? And so what happened was God created a family in heaven. There's, this is, there's so much scripture behind this. Catch me after, I'll give you some resources to find it if you're like, I have never heard this before, that's okay. Um, but God created a family of heaven, so there is listed in the Bible what he calls the sons of God. There are 70 of them. They are lesser gods that God himself created. So he has a family in heaven, and he has a family on earth, right? Everybody look to your neighbor and say, I'm in the family of God. I'm a firstborn, right? So you're in the family of God, but God also has this other family. And we don't know why they rebelled, but they rebelled. Some of them rebelled. And so here's where we get in Ephesians 6, the powers, the principalities, these other ruling forces in the world. So I don't know about you, but I went through a really interesting season, like, um, you know, period of time in my life where I was trying to figure out how does it work for God to be the most powerful, but then like, so that would mean the enemy has no power, but then the enemy does have power. And I would like, you know, anybody ever struggle with that? You're like, but wait, that is powerful, but why and how? And that doesn't make sense. Well, because the sons of God that God created that then rebelled are lesser gods. This is why in Exodus, God comes to the people and he says, you can have no other gods but me. 
because there actually are other forces. So I don't know if you're familiar with like the Hindu culture or um, the Buddhist culture or, um, I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, like Baal, right? The prophet Baal, I mean, the God Baal. These were things that had power. They did, they were able to do, like to affect the people, which is why the people believed in them. So why is this important? Okay, Jesus comes to the earth, he dies on the cross, spoiler alert, he raises from the dead, right? We all know this. But then something happened that was hidden from everything. Okay, side note, God is the creator over everything. He created these other gods, he created heavens and earth, right? He's the top dog. And so he hid part of his plan from everybody else. Here's the part he hid, that all the people on the earth actually belong to him. Why is that significant? And Paul tells us this in Ephesians, that this was, uh, it was it's, he talks about the mystery that was made known after the resurrection. This is the mystery that was made known, that all the people belong to him. So trace me back, I know I'm like, the beautiful mind guy at a you know, whiteboard. That's how I feel right now. Just track with me. It'll pull together, I promise. So when um, Genesis 6, when the Tower of Babel happened, God has all his lesser gods. This is like pre their rebellion. They're all ruling the earth together. Kumbaya, Kunumatata. It's all going well, right? Then they build this tower and God's like, ho, I am marveling at the power of what happens when humans come together. That's what he says in Genesis 6. It's a paraphrase. But he goes, wow, this is significant how much power they can have when they unite. They're building this tower. He's like, we can't have that. And he gets really frustrated with all the rebellion that's happening. So he destroys the tower. He disperses the people. Everybody remember this story? He gives them different languages. Okay, it's Genesis 6 if you want to look it up later. And in his giving them different languages, um, some of the older context of, of this chapter actually say, then he gave them to other gods. What does this mean? He disinherited people. His creation, his family on earth, and he's like, I'm done. Y'all, I can't, I just can't anymore, right? Has anybody ever, any moms, don't raise your hand, but any moms had a moment like that? Some of y'all maybe now that we're in summer are like having those moments like, I am done, right? You're not really gonna disinherit your kids, but if it was possible, you might think about it from time to time. That's what was happening to God. He's like, are you kidding me? I've done everything for you, we're done. And he actually does disinherit them. And he draws lines in the sky, or how, I don't know, on a map, and he apportions different nations. That's how the nations were born. And so when he gave them, these lesser gods get these nations, and then they get these people who they are now responsible to govern. Now think historical for just a second. Think about the way nations align under different religions. That's what this is. It was actually originally God's idea. Going back to our spoiler alert, in that moment when Jesus raised from the dead, what he did was he said, you thought I gave them to you forever? Joke's on you. They're always been mine. They've always been mine. And now I've made a way to bring them back to myself, right? So our job as sons and daughters of God is to go out into the earth. It's the same command that was given to Adam and Eve to fill the earth, subdue it, to rule it. That's, it's, it's been given to us for that, to take care of it, to be kind to the earth, to be kind to people, right? That's what we're called to do. And so that's the same in Genesis. It happens again um, after Noah. It happens again. It's like a theme. And then Jesus at the Great Commission, go into the world, right? Are you guys tracking with the theme? Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so we are designed by him to go out and take it back for him, to go into other nations and say, just kidding, Buddha, 
Your time is now over. These people belong to Jesus. To go into the Muslim world, the same thing, right? To go into all the earth and reconcile the people. So are we good? Are we tracking with that so far? Okay. All right, so this is what's significant about this is that God hid this revelation from the other sons of God. And so when he elevated Jesus, the Bible tells us he gave Jesus the name above all names, right? So now all these other sons of God are like, what? He gets to be the name of all names? And all of this was hidden for them, and it's like, it's on. And then World War spiritual breaks out, <laughs> right? Think about it. This is what's been happening. We are still experiencing this today. Here's the other fun fact. If you go into the Old Testament, you look at it from the Hebrew context, what God was saying to these sons of God is that he stripped them of their eternity. He created a special place in hell for them. It's in there. And that's where they will go and they will die like men. That's the stri I don't have the reference for you right now. I can look it up. But that's what he told them. Your, your rebellion will result that you won't be eternal anymore. You will die like men. So their days are numbered. Now, we don't understand why their days are still numbered, but they still are. I think it has to do with the glory of God being on display through his people. How do I know this? Because this is what he did. He disinherited all the people, and then he goes straight to the heart of Babylon. Remember what happened in Babylon? It's the tower, right? The tower. He goes right to the heart of where all the rebellion happened, and he's like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Abraham, come with me right? So Abraham and Sarah are called out of Babylon, out of the heart of rebellion. Are you guys, this is so cool to me. I don't know if it's cool to you. It's just mind-blowing to me. He goes, listen up, all you rebellious kids, you with me. And they, Abraham and Sarah are like, we don't even know where we're going, and who are you? They don't even know who God is, right? And he calls him, and he goes, I'm making myself a people, and I'm making it through you. And Sarah's like, I am barren, <laughs> so I think you picked the wrong person. And he's like, no, because I'm going to put my display of how incredible I really am on display through you. He picks what can't be, and in that, he shows how significant he really is, how supreme he really is, how magnanimous he really is. And he takes this piece of land, essentially the size of New Jersey, it's called Israel, okay? He takes this piece of land, and he goes, this is my land, Y'all can have everything else. Watch me work. And from that day in Genesis 6 until now, this tiny piece of land the size of New Jersey is the most fought over square inches of earth there is. Why? Because it's God's and all the other gods want it. They want to prove, no, we're actually better than you. And he's like, in my fingernail, on my pinky, I could smite you, right? Are you tracking with me? Great, okay. Hope you are. <laughs> so we are designed by God to be the display of his splendor, to be the display of his glory, and to go and take back from the enemy everything that belongs to God and to do it in such a way that it confounds everybody else because that's how he works. He picks the 12 who were rejected by all the rabbis, and he goes, through you, I'm going to set the world on fire. And they're all like, through who? Through me? <laughs> right? They weren't the brightest kids on the block. And God's like, I don't care. I don't need you to have all the things in order. I just need you to say yes, open your heart to me, and watch me be on display. All right. That's part one. Turn into part two. Did you know your body is important? Everybody, give a, make sure you're still here on earth, right? 
tap your neighbor on the shoulder, are you still here? Your body, your physical body is important. Sometimes when we're thinking about spiritual things, we're like, this body's gonna fade away and it's not really important, right? Your body is the temple of God, so that alone makes it important. But did you know that scripture talks a lot about your physical body, right? It talks about your mind, your hands, your heart, your eyes. It talks about, well, the armor of God covers a lot of that as well. And then it talks about your feet. I don't know about you, but one of my children, who will remain unnamed for their sanctity, Grant already knows where I'm going with this, this particular kid has feet that smell, I don't know how, right? You're like, what, what are you, you're not even like moving and they smell so bad. And it's like, as soon as this kid takes their shoes off, everybody at home knows and they know who it is. And that anybody got somebody in your family like that, don't look at them, you know pretend like it's not true. But that's, but your feet, or feet are like gross, right? Feet are like nobody wants to look at them or acknowledge them, but your feet actually play a significant role in your ability to do the work of the kingdom. And I have 11 out of like 40 or 30 scriptures in the Bible to prove that to you. So you ready? Wiggle your toes for me. Wiggle them. I can't see, but I'm trusting you. Wiggle them. We're going to talk about how our feet help us bring heaven's ways to earth. How our feet help us. I know, Greg, it's going to happen. I promise you're going to get it. So here we go. Deuteronomy 11, chapter 24. If you are take, I would encourage you write these scriptures down because it's going to be interesting. Deuteronomy 11, 24. And then again in Joshua 1, 3, God says the same thing to two different people. The first one, he's telling the people of Israel. The second one, he's saying as a promise specifically to Joshua after Moses dies. And this is what he says. You guys remember every place the sole of your feet trod will be given to you. He's like, welcome to the promised land. This isn't where you end. This is your launching pad of where you go from. And every place from here that you step will be given to you. Now, go back to our story with Genesis 6. What is God saying? You think New Jersey, you think Israel is my space. This is where it's my trampoline. This is where you start. And from here, every place your feet touch, you claim it for me. It's like finders keepers, right? You're like walking over and they're walking to Arabia. Finders keepers, this is God's now. Here's what I think is interesting. It wasn't enough for the astronauts to rotate around the moon. They had to do what? They had to put their feet on it. They wanted to claim it. This is hardwired into us. And I don't even understand how. It makes no sense except that it's God confirming what he's doing through his word. Where your feet stand is yours. Okay? All right. So every place the sole of your feet trod has been given to you. Isaiah 52 verse seven says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? It's echoed again in the New Testament. How beautiful are those feet? Why are they beautiful? Because everywhere they touch reclaims for God. It's not like the pedicure was so spectacular that it was like, whoa, look at those beautiful feet. If you ever watch somebody who's been traversing, especially in the ancient times, their feet are not beautiful. What's beautiful about them is their God-given ability to take ground, okay? So how beautiful are the feet of those? Now, 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18, and Habakkuk 3.9, they all say the same thing, which is this. He makes my feet like hind's feet. One of those verses says, like the feet of a deer. Now, I think it's interesting that God would say three times over, he makes our human feet like hind's feet, but he didn't make us like Mr. Tumnus from Chronicles of Narnia. You know what I'm talking about? He's the guy with the fawn legs, you know, and he's like prancing around in his little hoofs. He has hinds feet and a human body. So God thought we needed human feet that needed to be made like that. 
But what's different about those feet than our feet? They can actually scale up a mountain. Have you seen these pictures where goats are like on the side of the dam? And the, the, it's like this angle. It's like almost up and down. And the goats are just kind of like, hey, <laughs> you know, it's like no big deal to them. That's what hinds feet are like. That's what the Bible is telling us in three of those verses. What does that mean? He has given you feet that can go anywhere. There is nothing off limits to you. Okay, here we go. Psalm 121, he tells us that he keeps our feet from slipping. Why is this significant? Because as we're gaining ground, we don't want to lose that ground. So it's God that empowers us to gain the ground, and then it's God that empowers us to keep the ground that we're gaining. We are made to take ground. Everybody say, we are made, we are made. to take ground. This is hardwired into you. You were created and put into time right now for such a time as this so that you can go into the earth and partner with God in reclaiming it for him. Sometimes it has to be re-reclaimed, right? It was reclaimed once and then it's gotta be re-reclaimed because the enemy came back in and was like, nope, you thought that was yours, it's mine. And God's like, ah, this again, you know? So he sends us out to re-reclaim. All right, now this is what I think is interesting. John chapter 12, verse one through eight. Mary comes and she anoints Jesus's feet. Now there's a lot of layers to this story, but one of which, which is mind boggling to me, she could have anointed his head. She could have anointed his hands. She could have splashed him like holy water with the oil, you know, with the perfume. She anoints his feet. And in doing so, she prepares him. Yes, he says, she's preparing me for my burial. She's preparing me to go to the cross because he's about to do that. She prepares him to take the greatest ground that was ever taken. Isn't that interesting? So she comes in being led by the Holy Spirit, not even fully understanding what she's doing, and she gives this costly sacrifice onto the vessel that will take us into the promised land forever. She anoints his feet. I love that. All right. Uh, Ephesians 6.15, God has given us armor for our feet, the shoes that are with the readiness of the gospel. Now, I know sometimes we read that and we think the gospel of peace in some translations, and we're like, okay, so it's peaceful. I don't know about you, but life in the kingdom does not always feel peaceful. Can I get an amen? It's not like Jesus came to bring zen and tranquility. Actually, he said, I came to bring a sword, right? But somehow we've like gotten the white picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus wasn't white. I don't know if you know that. He did not have blonde hair. He was born into an Arab Middle Eastern area. He did not look like, well, he didn't look like Grant. I have darker features, but he didn't look blonde hair, right? But we see this picture of him where he's like never in a bad mood and he's always so like zen and tranquil. And then we think that's what we're supposed to be like. And then we feel bad about ourselves when we're struggling with something and we're missing the point altogether. He didn't, the readiness of peace is not so much that you will always feel tranquil, but that you will be able to overcome everything you're doing as you take ground. Think about it. He even gave you armor for your feet. Why? Because your feet are taking you places. And then he says this really interesting scripture in Matthew 10, 14. Now, I, I want to say my, one of my spiritual moms, she had pulled some of this together for me a little over a year ago, and it was mind-boggling to me, and this theme. And um, so I want to give her credit for what God was speaking to her about that. And, and she began to talk to me about Matthew 10, verse 14, and when Jesus sends out the disciples, and he makes this statement. And he says, he says, go in, share the gospel, right? Bring the kingdom. And if somebody doesn't welcome you, shake the dust off your what? Your feet. 
Don't shake it off your cloak, not off your eyes, off your feet. Why? Because when we are not welcomed with the message, when we find resistance in life, it hinders, has the potential to hinder our ability to get up and go again. I think this is really significant when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. He was coming and he was washing them and he, yes, they were dirty and there were literal and cultural context things that were there that apply. But there's another layer of this scripture where he's washing their feet because he knows where they're going into is going to be really hard. This phase two in their world, this, this you know, I'm going to leave and I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit and it's gonna be your job to go and spread this message. He knew it was gonna be hard. And sometimes I think we forget to wash our feet. But if we have dirty feet, it's really hard to have the energy to go. I don't know about you, but when I read Matthew 28, 18, it's the Great Commission, okay? In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into all the world. Now, some of us can read that and say, well, he was only talking to those disciples, or he was only, you know, we can make excuses. But I'm telling you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have said yes to God, this applies to you, okay? We can pretend but it's just an illusion. This applies to you. There is a mandate on your life to go and share the gospel. It might be with your family. It might be with your neighbor. I'm not gonna assume where God is going to assign you. I'm just gonna tell you he's gonna send you somewhere. But when we have dirty feet, it's really hard to be motivated to go. Have you ever had dirty feet? Has anybody ever like walked outside for long enough and you didn't wash off your feet and it's just gritty and it's gross, right? I love the beach. Grant does not like the beach because of the sand, which is so sad because you can't have the beach without the sand, right? And when you're on the sand, you will get sand on your feet. It's like you could be wearing like, you know, plastic everything from head to toe and you're still, there's gonna be a grain of sand that finds its way in there. When we're in our going, we're going to pick up dust. And if we don't get good at acknowledging the removal process, then we slow down on the going process. Are you guys tracking with me? So in our journey, I've been um, on the process of making disciples for, I think I counted up like 19 years now. I started when I was a senior in high school and uh, I, I felt really convicted by this verse and so I had a friend that I made my disciple, so that was really cool. And uh, you know, he was fine with it for a short amount of time. And uh, so we would do Bible studies and whatnot, and I would try to just make disciples, and I didn't really know exactly what it meant, but I knew I had to give away what I had been given. One of my favorite preachers says it this way, you don't get to keep what you don't give, right? The revelation, the anointing, we have to give it out if we're gonna keep it. It's kind of the upside down kingdom thing. And so I started making disciples then, and in that time frame, we've had something around like 38 people who've lived in our home in the last 15 years that we ministered to, and some of them were friends, some of them were like spiritual kids. Um, that's a lot of people when you've only been married 15 years. Some of those came in large amounts at a time. And we've had between Grant and I, I think at this point, somewhere like 100 people that we've closely invested in. So I'm not talking about just acquaintances that we high five, but people who we were in their life. And of that large grouping, there's a segment of that of people who have um, not just left a little dust on our feet, but have like caked them some like with acid. Can we just be honest, <laughs> right? And I wanna, I wanna say this because I understand the challenge here. And the first time this happened to me, acid's way too extreme, sorry, that was my unfiltered self. 
But, but the first time this happened to me, we're, we're giving ourselves, we're, we're giving ourselves to this person and we're saying, you know, like we are believing in you to go out and, and not just go out and change the world, but just become who God called you to be. And there was a lot of deception that was happening in our home. And um, it's just a really difficult time when it all came to a head and there was like some bold faced lies that were involved in it. And it was, it was really sad. It was really heartbreaking for me, especially. And when that was all said and done, and we had clarified everything and it was all exposed, I remember spending time with the Lord and saying to God, I don't think I can do this again. That was way too painful. To give myself in such a way, and it wasn't even like I wanted something in return, but it was like just to have that relationship cut off like that was just painful. And it broke my heart. And I wish I could say that was the only time that's happened, but welcome to the kingdom of God. <laughs> right? I have a, a we, we joked about, it's so terrible, I probably shouldn't even say this out loud, but we're family, so whatever. We were joking about, should we have a wall of people, you know, of the ones that we've loved that went away, we could keep praying for them, that God would restore those relationships. And it sounds morbid unless you've been giving of your heart and you know what it's like to feel that way. And I remember being struck with this reality that we can't just ignore that there's dirt and dust on our feet. We have to actually take an action to say, I'm not going to carry this with me anymore. I don't know about you. I know most of you guys were involved in a church before you came to this church. And I've been around churches my, almost my whole life. And so I know there's things that happen in church life that's painful. There's relationships that happen that's painful. And one of the things that it does is it causes us to move into self-preservation where we're like, oh, I'm not gonna give that much of myself because what if, right? But if we don't shake the dust off, which is Jesus' command to us, it's that much harder to go. So going back to my story, I remember sitting with the Lord and saying, I don't know if I can do this again. And God was really gently prompting me and, and saying, you will, you can have some time. And it, I took way too much time, because I'm really good at that, <laughs> exploiting those loopholes, right? And, it, and it, the next time it happened, the amount of time I had to take on the back end was less. And the last time that it happened, which was some time ago, it was like, okay, God, how do I get smarter? How do I get smarter? And the thing about that phrase is that to get smarter means I have to withhold some of myself. And if I withhold some of myself, am I really truly going? So we have to understand Jesus, we have to get to this place where I trust you enough to take care of me on the back end of a betrayal like I am in the front end, right? I trust you enough to pick me up and dust me off, but if you haven't had him dust you off, then you don't really, you can't really go next time. You guys tracking with me? I can see your wheels spinning, okay? So here's what I wanna say. We have been given a mandate by God to go. I think one of the enemy's greatest resources in the body right now are these type situations where dust has been caked on you and you haven't taken it off and so you're not participating in God's kingdom assignment to advance his calling across the earth. His assignment hasn't changed. His perspective hasn't changed. His wanting to reclaim the territory from all these other lesser gods who rebelled, none of that has changed in thousands of years. What's changed is the enemy's tactic. And I think it just goes without saying that you need to know how dirty are your feet? What's on them? How long has it been since they were washed proverbially? <laughs> because when Jesus bows down to his disciples, he's not bowing down in like reverence, but he kneels down in front of them to wash their feet. He's saying, I get it. 
I understand. And we know he did, right? Because he poured himself into Judas, and we know what happened with that. So of all the people in the earth, he's the one who's equipped the most to be able to clean you, to wash you, and to teach you how to get good at shaking the dust off. Here's what I believe for us as a people. We are called to bring heaven's ways to earth. Lately, I've been... um, I mean, I talk to the Lord every day. I think you guys know that. But I've been struck by this thought God gave, put in my mind at the conference we were at um, at the beginning of last week. And, um, And the Lord, I was talking about the four pillars with the Lord. And we have these four pillars, which is like our strategy of how we do life here. It's love, prayer, and worship, equipping and releasing, and God's radical heart for rescue. And I felt like the Lord said, do you think, and this is to me. He said, do you think you've really honored my pillar of radical rescue? Because we didn't come up with them. These weren't like, this is what, you know, oh, yay, let's plan a church. We'll do this and we'll do this. No, it was like God said, this is what this church will be. This is how you will reach people. And it struck me and it hurt, if I can just be honest for a second. And I started thinking about it and I was like, Lord, I think I've gotten really good at uh, making excuses for why the rescue pillar will get to that later kind of thing. And um, so I'm standing up in front of you as your pastor saying, I get this. I get this on a very personal level. I told the Lord, I had to repent, to be honest. I was like, wow, I have to repent because we have restructured things. We have held to love and prayer and worship and equipping and releasing at times when it's been painful and we've kept that at the forefront and God's radical heart for rescue. We've kept that in the inner healing times and in the other things and not in his, are you ready to go out and actually reclaim for me my lost people? That scares the junk out of me, can I just be honest? Because I'm not an evangelist, but that's not an excuse, right? I don't share the gospel well, so uh, I'm that person who is like incredibly awkward. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone like that, but the first time I ever shared the gospel cold turkey with someone, I I wish to God there was like a a video camera because I would have won the $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos. Because I was walking down the street in Seattle, we were on a mission trip, and I saw these two guys at this pizza table. They were at a table this size with two chairs. And I was struck with, you need to go talk to them. So like a moron, I walk into this place and I go, hey guys, can I sit down? I have never seen these people before, never will again. I scoot up to their table and I start to try to tell them about Jesus. And it was the most horrifying thing, the look on their face and eventually the look on mine when it all started catching up to me, how awkward it was what I just did. Like I just barged into their world, you know? And uh, I was like, well, great. And then I walked out and I was like, let's go, let's go to the other people with me. Like, just keep walking. How did it go? Nobody will talk about this again. You know, <laughs> like we'll pretend, pretend this never happened. And I haven't really gotten better than that. I'm just going to be really honest. Uh, I, I can articulate the gospel to people who want to hear it, but those that don't know if they want to hear it, that's not my sweet spot. But here's my point in saying all of this, that we just can't have these excuses anymore because we're serving the God who created everything right? And so it has to come to this point of saying, do I trust you enough, Lord, that you're going to go with me? Do I trust you enough, Lord, that if I say we are redoing everything to, you know, we're not, but like if we're putting the rescue pillar front and center and we all have to go out and share the gospel and all of you then want to hate me and you're all purposely throwing dust on my feet. And I'm like, this is cool guys, you know, and it becomes this really challenging thing. I'm like, do I trust you enough, Lord? And I'm working that out just being honest. I'm pretty sure I'm going to land in yes, just so you know. I know I will. 
But I'm in that process. I'm in that process of saying, God, do I value your commission like it's my own? doesn't mean I have to become an evangelist, right? I don't have to become Billy Graham or Todd White or whoever. I have to become me obeying the Lord. And my challenge to you is don't make me go this alone. Please. Let's do it together. Let's value who God is enough that we're willing to be awkward. Let's start a Facebook thread of awkward encounters, right? And I'll put mine up first. Maybe we should do this now that I'm saying it's kind of a funny idea. Where we can all share how terrible it is to reach out sometimes. Even here in Oklahoma, where 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 people actually have heard the name of Jesus before. Okay, I'm belaboring this point. I'm going to wrap it up. But I do want to say, I feel like today what the Lord wants us to do is to take some time to acknowledge and to wash our feet in our minds. You can do this the next time you take a shower or a bath if you want, you know, we're not going to like bring out the water right now. But I think it's important to make like an act, like in your mind, you're literally saying, I received dust from this particular situation and I'm choosing right now to let it go. You guys understand that? Because when we make that choice, we open our heart up to the Lord again. Sometimes it really is a deliberate action. So picture the disciples when Jesus is telling them to do that. They literally had to wash that dust off. And I bet you anything, they physically did that because they weren't really sure, but Jesus told them to. You know, oh, I got some dust from that house. And they're like, dust from that house, right? Okay, wipe it off, right? It's like it just became a part of their second nature. And it was a prophetic act symbolizing keeping your spirit clean. You guys all tracking with me? Okay. So I wasn't planning on sharing all of that about the rescue pillar, but praise God. There you go. And I'm, and I, honestly, I'm not embarrassed of it because we're all on a journey. And we're all in a process of saying, Lord, call us to what you want us to be called to. But I can tell you, sometimes when I see empty seats in our room, I'm like, so if we had a bus, there's like 200 prisoners at one of the prisons that want to come to our church. Just telling you. And I've thought to myself, should we just bust them in? And what would you guys do if we did? I feel good about it, just so you know. I feel good that you guys would not freak out. But I'm just telling you, this is where my heart is at. Uh, one of my kids had a birthday party where only one kid came. It wasn't a sad thing. There's a bunch of us in our family, so it wasn't a big deal. But Grant and I had, we paid for this package that just came with like 12 unlimited cards at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, so it was like, there was nothing you could do about it. You just had them. You know, you can't say, give me less. They just give them to you. And we were joking, like, should we just gather all the kids here to come be a part of the party? Because who doesn't want an unlimited game card? And we passed the rest of them out because why are we going to waste them? And I feel that tension in my heart. And I was almost to the point of weeping, not because of sadness for that party, but because of the Holy Spirit being like, this is my heartbeat. Fill the chairs, even if it's the least of these. Fill the seats, even if it's the ones who nobody really has much you know, hope for. Because the people are worth it. You guys know? That's like what's going on in my spirit. And, and conversely, I'm like, man, but if we're going to do that, we got to be ready to go and take the ground. We got to have our right shoes on. We got to have our right theology. We got to have our right heart. So that's part of what today is about. So here's what I want to do to land this spinny plane. Grant's going to put um, some music on. And I'm just going to open this front up. And what I, there's, I have no expectation on you. I just know that for some of us, we do need to come and ask the Lord to heal our heart. 
And it might be something that you're like, man, this happened a really long time ago, and I'd never thought about how it connected to my going. And maybe for the first time you're thinking about that, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be some sort of big emotional thing. I just think there needs to be an action. If that's you and that's resonating with you, there needs to be an action point of saying, all right, in this moment, I'm shaking that off. Lord, teach me how to go again. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And then in a minute, I'm going to pray over everybody um, to end. So we're going to take about, um, Tyler, will you turn the lights down just a little bit, just so we can have some um, mood lighting. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the epic washer. Lord, we thank you that for some of us, you have a power washer in store this morning to just blast off all the caked gunk of life in the kingdom. And Lord, I'm asking that you would soften our hearts today, that you would put a vision of going in our hearts today, that you would get us in line with what's your command and what's your ultimate heart to reconcile all people to yourself, regardless of their any background associations. And so we just welcome you to come and highlight any places where we need to let go of dirt this morning. And if you feel like the Lord starts to highlight something, just interact with him. Just ask him questions. Ask him to come and wash you. And we're going to take about two minutes. And so if you need to come up here and kneel down or lay down, you're welcome to do that.